Now here today we are continuing, actually completing our study in the book of Colossians. Let us hear Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. Continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom to the, towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Tychicus, our beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are, are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea, and those in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphos, the church that is in his house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see to it that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. In today's passage, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul closes out his letter to the church in Colossae. We have seen the progression of the letter. We see that he opens up the letter with prayer and gratitude in Christ. This book gives us a strong doctrine of Christ as King, Creator, and Savior. Reminds us of the great hymn where we sing, Christ with me, Christ in me, Christ behind me, and Christ before me. We hear after knowing that Christ is King over all, that there are in the church enemies in our gates. Deceivers with persuasive words. Men bringing empty philosophies and creating their version of man-made salvation. We learn that by the power of the Spirit, we have been given a new heart. And we learn what it means to be a Christian. That is, mortifying sin and putting on Christ. And when we mortify sin and we put on Christ, that it brings transformation to all of our social relationships. Husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, and masters. 
Paul will, in this passage, or does in this passage, circle back to his model of prayer in chapter 1. And that is the call for prayer for the church. And then we see in his closing instructions, Paul's concern for the future of the church. I want to stop right here and encourage you as we think about this closing passage that we are at a place where we should always not just be dwelling in the present, certainly being instructed from the past, but also be praying for the future. Today we're going to baptize Paul, right? Not the Apostle Paul, but (laughs) our, our new brother among us, right? His mother and father are definitely going to be thinking about the future, his future, and their future with him. And there's going to be a transition in his life where they're going to be standing there and they're going to see him on the precipice of manhood. And they'll be thinking about his future and what it looks like for their future. Finally, as they grow aged, Paul will look to his parents and his parents will look at him and they will say, we will soon be gone. Does Paul have all that he needs? Have we pointed him to Christ? Have we seen that he has relationships with faithful Christians who will be here when I am gone? Here we see this. Paul is considering these very same things. He knows that he is bound in chains and that his life is going to be taken from him in the near future. He's concerned for the saints in Colossae. He wants them to know the truth. He wants them to cling to Christ. He wants them to see that even though there isn't this apostolic, like the Roman church says, passing down of of authority, there is in fact the passing down of authority to pastors and elders to care for the church. Paul is making sure of this, and you see this over and over again in his epistles. So he calls us here today, He says this, beginning in verse 2, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying for us also that God would open to us the door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. In this prayer, he says, earnestly watch. This word continue that is used here, continue earnestly, means perseverance. To, to pray with watchfulness. Don't be listless. That is to say, don't be just, well, God is God, I do nothing. But rather, he says, continue in prayer. Be vigilant. We are to be steadfast. We are to be, in our prayers, attentive. To give unremitting care. This is prayer rendered with zeal and constancy. It is to be vigorous, lively, almost to the point of joyous as a soldier goes to meet his enemy. Now when we pray in this fashion, you know, every time something new happens, you get married, you have children, you're suddenly filled with vigor. You're excited for the future. New change. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to be more vigilant in my prayers. And Paul says, in your day-to-day life, as you go about it, 
Be earnest, persevere, be constant in prayer, and do it watchfully. That is to say, you have to ask yourself, when the challenges of life come to you, God, what are you teaching me? And how should I pray for this? Now, when your child is small, this is for the Franzones over there, and many of you with small children, it seems pretty simple. But as they grow, they get their own mind. And you don't want to crush that. You want to develop it in a way that points to Christ and leads them in Christ in the service of others. But you recognize pretty soon you don't have direct control over them. If you want to see them face and follow the Lord, stay steady. Persevere in prayer. Look at the circumstances going on in their lives. Observe them and bring prayer to God about those specifics. You know, this word continue that we see here is used on the day of Christ's ascension when the disciples returned to Jerusalem to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts chapter 1, Beginning of verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> At the day of Pentecost, God added to the church, and the response of the Christians added to the church. And they were, we're told in verse 42 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. That's really important. So this prayer that we're to continue, it, it brings out other things. We study God's Word. We look at what the truths are. We are to continue in this way. And this is true for all of us. And that's part of why you're here today. But we should be doing this throughout our week as well. We see also in Acts 2, beginning in verse 46, it says, Continuing daily and with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The church, that is all of us, are to continue in unity together and with our brothers and sisters in Christ in other houses of worship today. And we are to continue in this unity in what? In the word, in sacrament, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, in prayer. When we get together on the Lord's Day and throughout our week, we must be joyfully diligent in prayer with one another. And we need to bring these prayers with humble thanksgiving. We see in Colossians chapter 1, we can reflect back where Paul says, We give thanks to God, or excuse me, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And of course, he mentions this since we heard about you. So, you know, this past week we got an eyewitness account of what God is doing in Ukraine, right? We heard what God is doing in the churches and that they need prayer. If you were in Sunday school, you heard a little bit about what God is doing in the, in the area of parole. And that, that area of Annapolis needs prayer. So we should rejoice when we hear what God is doing, and we should be praying. In Colossians 1.12, Paul again says, Giving thanks 
to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. When we petition God the Father in prayer, we do not forget what favor God has already given us. We are not to be offended in what we perceive as slowness, but we are to be content in what God has given us by His providence. You know, that's the real challenge of it, isn't it? We go to God, we pray, and we want Him to act right now. And then, it seems as if He doesn't. But our omniscient and omnipresent Father, by the work of the Spirit, is working out His providence in everyone's life each and every day. We are to give thanks for what He has given us already, namely that in Christ we've been qualified as partakers with Christ. We are saints. That is, we have sanctuary access to God because we have been delivered from our sins because of the work of Christ. We must be content in what God presently gives. Now, being content does not mean you don't pray for God to bring relief, for God to transform a person's heart. But we are to trust His providence. We are to make these petitions and remember how God pulled us out and how He has forgiven our sins because of Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.6 reminds us that we are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So what, what he's expressing to us is he's trying to help us to understand. First, we come to God in a place of gratitude, of thanksgiving for all that he has done. From the beginning of time and creation and all his works of mercy and grace to bring us all right here to this point this morning in church. We are to be full of gratitude and thanksgiving and still bring our petitions and we don't have to be anxious about it. And when we do this, verse 7 of Philippians 4 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We have, in our prayerful, we have peace in our prayerful requests because God is certainly performing His will on earth. We then see that Paul, back in Colossians 4, changes his admonition on how to pray to a request for prayer. Now this is interesting. The great apostle Paul, he's teaching them in prayer, and then suddenly he switches over and says, please pray for us. Please pray for, for me. He says this in verse 3 of Colossians 4. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul here asked for prayers from the brethren for the word of the gospel to be proclaimed. Paul is suffering and imprisoned, and his concern is not his need, excuse me, but rather that the gospel will flourish to the glory of Christ and the spread of the gospel. 
Think on this now. He does not want to be destitute of the spirit of boldness for the gospel, for the mystery of Christ. Now, if the great apostle Paul, who saw such great and mighty works of God, and he preached, and he saw lives converted, if he suffered beatings and imprisonment, and yet he proclaimed, if he asks for the brethren to pray for him, how much more should we be praying for one another and for those to whom God has placed in places to proclaim the gospel? For pastors in our churches, for elders and deacons and lay leaders, for missionaries, for pastors in foreign countries, some of which are being tortured this very day or imprisoned. He says, pray for us so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. And of course, we ask the question, what is this mystery of Christ? It's a joyous thing. Remember, there's been this whole battle of, well, there's the people of God, the Israelites, the Jewish folk, and there's the Gentiles. We see in Colossians 1, just looking back, we're reminded it says this, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of Christ is this, that Christ came not to simply save one people group, but to save all the nations. In chapter 2, the mystery is the hearts of Christians that are knit together and not divided by the Judaizers. Ephesians 3.6 says this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Christ has bought the forgiveness of sins with his blood. And now the people of God are not Jews or Gentiles, male or female. No, they are not even divided by which tribe they come from. Why? Because God intends to keep his promise from Psalm 2 that he will give all the nations to his ascended son, Jesus Christ. Just as Paul is asking for prayer for open doors to proclaim the gospel, we too should ask for God to provide open doors in our daily life and for all the churches in our community and throughout the world. Let us also ask for prayers from our brethren for the proclamation of the gospel of God's saving grace and mercy. Turning back to chapter 4 of Colossians, we see that the gospel is to be preached. So we pray for the opportunity to speak boldly, but then he tells us how. He says this in verse 5, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We are to walk in wisdom towards those who are not in Christ. We see this redeeming time also in Ephesians 5, where it actually declares that we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. And it says there in Ephesians 5, 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We are to recognize the grave situations that those who are walking 
in the darkness of sin are in. They cannot see unless God opens their eyes. Isaiah 6.10 tells us that God makes the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And it declares, and return and be healed. So we do not ask God for, excuse me, so we do ask God to open the door for the word. But we also don't want to be, as Leviticus 19.14 tells us, you should not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am Yahweh. And so God was speaking to the people of Israel when he set up the covenant. He says, you know, those that are outside, they're, they're deaf, dumb, and blind. They can't function. They don't see. But as Christians, we should not be putting a roadblock and trip them up. We should not rejoice when difficulty comes to them. We should see the bad spot that they're in. And we should ask God to open their eyes. John Calvin says this, Nothing is more ready to occur than that unbelievers are driven from bad to worse through our imprudence and their minds wounded so that they hold Christianity more and more in abhorrence. What is this imprudence? Putting the stumbling block before the blind. It's indiscretion. It's leaving caution. It's acting and speaking without due regard to the consequences of our words that are uttered. Or, what are the probable effects on the interest, safety, and reputation or happiness to unbelievers? Rashness. We are to walk with wisdom. We are to be truthful. But we are told here in this passage to let our words be seasoned with salt so that we do not profane the name of Jesus. We should look upon the unbelieving, having prayed for the open door. Consider their frame as we speak the truth. What do they need to hear? What of God's word do they need to hear? Salt in this case is not about preserving something, but actually making the flavor more robust. Can you oversalt something? Yes, you can. It's no longer edible. Saltless food can taste bitter and be unpalatable. Sometimes when we are dealing with unbelievers or unrepentant Christians, we on our own quickly decide what we think they need to hear. And then we whack them with it. We think... They should hear this, and so we're going to give it to them. The prayers that we offered, offered up in gratitude towards God and remembering how He called us remind us of how God has dealt generously with us. Let us then be humbly firm in prayerful thought of God's Word that they need to hear. Usually, our anger and impatience is our greatest impediment to sharing the Word of God. We somehow have forgotten that our words 
Do not change men's hearts and minds. Let me say that to you again. My words and your words do not change the hearts and minds of men. Only God gives a new heart and then he renews our mind. Let us dedicate ourselves to prayer, the word and the breaking of bread together for God's glory and the proclamation of the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And when God does open doors for the word, either under duress or in calm, remember, in Matthew 10, 19, Jesus admonished his disciples by saying, When they deliver you up, do not worry about, what, about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour that you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So we should be prepared. We should know the Word. We should study doctrine. We should be in fellowship with one another. And we should be encouraging one another. And in that, we will be prepared. We will be instruments of the Holy Spirit to speak His Word. It's interesting here because now Paul, in Colossians 4, turns to specific greetings. How many guys have ever read these passages and you're like, okay, let me just get through this. It's sort of like the genealogies, right? All right, you know, this person, I don't know. I don't know why we have to read these. But we truly can learn from this. We understand that, first of all, Paul had co-laborers in Christ because no one is self-sufficient. No one. We see here... Paul says this, beginning in verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. And I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make none to you all things that are happening here. And again, you're hearing this and you're saying, okay, great, bear with me. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So I think we can look at these and, ga and gather some instruction in this, certainly he is speaking about people that he is sending. He's thinking about them hearing from others besides himself. And he mentions several people. Tychicus is a faithful minister. And he, that minister's call is to know your circumstances and comfort you. So there's instruction both to ministers that they are to know their people, their flock, so that they may guide you and comfort you. And... This also means when the pastor tries to get with you and get to know your family, 
Open up your house. Respond. Be a part. Because he's only doing what he's been instructed by God's word. We see Aristarchus. He's a fellow prisoner for the gospel. So we see that others are suffering as Paul is suffering. And these here we see are faithful folks. We see justice mentioned. We'll uh, talk a little more about justice in just a second. But we also see Epaphras mentioned. He is likely the founding pastor in Colossae. He's a bondservant of Christ, and he's laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So we hear that he says, okay, you're sending pastor, he's with me. He is always praying for you. All right, and why does he do this? So that you grow, and it says stand perfect, but really that is stand in maturity, to be growing up in the faith and the stature of the Lord, becoming mature Christians. So again, what is, there's instructions to ministers, to elders, but there is also instruction to you. When your pastors or elders come to you and they're speaking with you, you know, the easier thing is not to be involved with anyone. You realize that, right? But the purposes are for you to grow in maturity in Christ. We also see here listed under the grouping of the faithful, Luke, the beloved physician. But there's, there's some names here also that teach us that some in the church have struggles. We see failures. Onesimus, he mentions here as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Remember Onesimus, this is the man uh, from the book of Philemon where he's a slave who's run away. Presumably it seems like perhaps he stole things from his master before he left. And in the book of Philemon, there's this call back for Onesimus to go back to repent of his sin to be welcomed and restored as a brother. And we even see in the language there for him to be treated as a brother, perhaps even set free because of Paul's calling of saying, hey, you're under the grace of God as well. But you see, you have one who went from slave to restored brother. And this very Onesimus could very well be later the bishop in Ephesus, from church history, it appears to be so, which is really interesting. So you have a man who fled away, became a Christian, went back and made right the, the, against those he'd sinned against. God not only restored him and gave him a new heart, but over time as he grew, he also later grew up to be a pastor and a bishop in Ephesus. We also hear that Paul mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And he says, you know, you've heard instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. That doesn't just mean like, hey, man, come into my house. That is, welcome what he teaches you. In Acts chapter 15, Barnabas and Paul parted ways in regard to allowing Mark to return to the mission field with them because Mark had left them back in Acts chapter 13. Here we see that Mark is restored to the ministry work with Paul's blessing. Even though it would seem, now here's the interesting thing, so he's restored, 
and, and there's some interesting things I think you can, you can think on these things. If you have questions about this, I can talk to you about it later. But he goes from a place where he left the ministry field, then he is restored back to it, and even Paul, who didn't want to take him, now says, I need you to listen to him, welcome him, hear his teachings. But he says this, that both Mark and Justice are workers in the kingdom, and yet are those who are circumcision. Remember, he spent a great deal of time pushing against the heresies of the Judaizers, that you must convert and do all of the, all of the um, works of the Old Testament that are just merely ceremonial. And here he says, these guys, they're not pushing for everyone to convert, but they are kind of of that crowd. They have a little bit different uh, view of the scriptures. But they are co-laborers with me. I think this speaks to the fact that we need to be careful not to simply look at others because they have a little bit different belief on the scriptures and then treat them as if they are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to treat other churches that are proclaiming the gospel as our brothers and sisters in Christ and our co-laborers. Man, we're getting all this just out of a few names in here to think about. We also hear about Demas. Now this guy's different. You have two guys in Onesimus and Mark who faced failure and were restored through repentance and through instruction in God's word. But we also see in, D in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 where it says this, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed from Thessalonica. So we see that Onesimus and Mark, forgiven, restored in the grace of God in Christ Jesus. But we see that even one who began walking in the covenant, even bearing fruit, and that he comes to failure, and that he'll be pruned from Christ. And that's a reference to John 15. People of God, we can never succeed on our own. The good news of the gospel is that we do not have to live on our own strength. We live in Christ and we triumph in Christ. So if you fail, if you sin, repent. Be restored by the saving grace provided you in Christ Jesus. At the very end we see some parting thoughts from the Apostle Paul. We, we see that, that we are to greet the brethren from other churches. So again, there's this theme that we are to have brothers and sisters and to recognize brothers and sisters in other churches. It says this in verse 15 of Colossians 4. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And he ends, This is a salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And he says, Amen. 
So our points here is this. One, we are to share the scriptures with one another. And as we learn, remember that some, most of us in this room didn't start out reformed. Many of us didn't start out in a CREC church. And not that being a CREC church is essential. Let me make that clear. But others brought us the scriptures and they shared them with us and they shared their insights with us. And that's what we're called to do. For many of us, we didn't even know there were other ways to look at passages until what? Until someone seasoned with salt and grace shared it with us. We also see here in Paul's admonition that we are to discern our ministry. Everyone in this room, children you included, have a ministry in your family. Older children, you are really, by your actions and attitudes and words, discipling your younger brothers and sisters. Fathers, husbands, you're discipling in your homes. Mothers, you're discipling in your homes. You're discipling in this church. You have a ministry in your family, the church, and the world. So discern what it is, that you may fulfill it. And then, Paul says, grace to you. That is, the merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon our souls, turns us to Christ, keeps us, strengthens us, and increases us in the Christian faith and knowledge affection, and kindness to them. And they're all exercised in the Christian virtues that come from Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you and ask for your help in the calling that you have given each one of us. Uphold us in our weakness. Deliver us from temptation. And when we sin, be gracious to us. Call us to repentance and restore us. Please help us to be joyful, full of gratitude, and content in our estate, so that we may have open doors to proclaim your saving grace in our daily lives to those who are lost. We give you thanks for the provision of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.